Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about 2022's Scream, but I think we're going to refer to it as Scream 5 to uh, make things go a little smoother. And to talk about this one, I am joined by one of our horror movie correspondents. It's Adam Lichtenstein. Adam, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I, I think I called dibs on this podcast spot like a year ago. Or like when I first found out they were making this, I was like, I gotta be on this podcast. Yeah, Adam is like a big Scream enthusiast, which is a good thing because I have seen the original Scream, but I, much like when Adam joined uh, and Kayla joined me for the Halloween podcast back in uh, last fall, I, I've seen the original and then nothing in between that and all the, you know, reboot sequels, requels as uh, a term that this movie is trying to make happen. Uh, I, 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 oh, I had not seen anything in between. So Adam can kind of fill in a lot of the blanks, whereas I kind of know some of the, uh, some of the, you know, the, the broader points and, and, uh, more mainstay kind of characters of these franchises. So I'm not a total novice, but it, I'm glad to have someone like Adam here to talk about this one. Uh, Scream 5, though, like much like as I understand the Scream sequels, you know, it takes place in the, uh, you know, town of Woodsboro, which just has the best luck of all towns, doesn't add it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, so actually, Scream 2 and 3 do not take place in Woodsboro. So it's only been the site of three massacres. Sorry, I just killed a gnat that had been like literally flying around my apartment for like three weeks. I'm going to keep it in. Keep it in. Yeah, no, uh, maybe I will. But like I, I, I literally had like different like fruit flies uh, just to give people a little peek behind the curtain. Our friend Adam got married last weekend and uh, my apartment got some use uh, was used for it. And I like stressed all week because I had like like three different like I don't know if they're fruit flies or gnats like flying around all week. You know, I did a Mr. Miyagi type thing and like killed two of them. And I don't know if anyone that was here for Adam's wedding noticed one of them, but like I, I just killed that other one as we were sitting here. I didn't even give a shit that I was on the mic. I'm like clapping my hands, like trying to kill this thing. And I just killed it. So I'm going to be able to like, you know, have some peace of mind for the next hour that like there's not going to be a bug uh, flying in the corner of my eye. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for correcting me on the Woodsboro thing, Adam. I, I thought that like, I mean, I, I guess I just kind of knew that like David Arquette was in all of them. So I just assumed he'd always been hanging out in the same town. No, he, he just, he just hears them. Some people died and he just comes running. Just sticks his nose and stuff. Basically. Okay. So, okay. So Woodsboro, which still very unlucky town, maybe like, maybe not quite as like curses, like, um, Haddonfield from the Halloween movies, but it's up there, I guess. Uh, we're back in there for the beginning of, uh, Scream 5, and much like the original Scream, though, uh, the movie opens up as we are in the home of a uh, of a high school girl who gets a call on a landline, which is, you know, its, it's own little punchline in a 2022 movie. Uh, she gets a call from uh, someone that seems like a, you know, just like a psychopath killer who um, wants to play a game of horror movie trivia, and... Of course, the sequence ends in stabby, stabby, stabby. Uh, but actually, unlike the original where uh, we had to say goodbye to Drew Barrymore, uh, this girl whose name is Tara, she's played by Jenna Ortega. Uh, she actually survives, which I guess might be a bit of a spoiler, but all that happens in the first 10 minutes. And we're going to talk. We're going to have a little spoiler section at the end where we'll actually talk about uh, what we think about the reveals with respect to who the killers are. But I think it's actually possible to have a uh, conversation about this movie without jumping all the way to that point. Uh, I'm going to let Adam, as he feels the need to in discussing this movie, uh, spoil plot points from Scream 2, 3, and 4, even though I've never seen them, because uh, he actually can probably talk knowledgeably about them in a way that will help this discussion. But regardless, uh, Tara survives the stabbing at the hands of uh, a ghost-faced imposter, uh, ends up in the hospital. Her sister, Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, someone that Adam and I talked about, less than a year ago when she was in in the heights uh she uh hears about her sister who you know she hasn't seen in some time she lives hours away works at a bowling alley somehow with a, a boyfriend named richie played by 
uh, Jack Quaid, who you might know from the boys, uh, they decide they're going to go back to Woodsboro and tend to her sister and then try and find uh, the actual ghost-faced imposter who uh, attempted to murder her. They're going to be joined by her sister's friends, who she apparently used to babysit for. Uh, they're named uh, Amber, who's played by Mikey Madison, who I'm personally a big fan of from the TV show Better Things. Uh, there's Mindy, played by Jasmine Savoy Brown, who is having a bit of a moment because she was on Showtime's Yellow Jackets. Uh, Mindy has a twin named Chad. There's Wes, played by Dylan Minnette, who horror movie fanatics might know from Don't Breathe, but he's also on 13 Reasons Why. And Liv, who is... Uh, uh, Chad's girlfriend. Uh, all of them, uh, they end up coming together. But, you know, in within this universe, I should say, I, I should have said earlier, uh, you know, these uh, all these murders within the events of this universe in the first four movies, uh, they become so infamous. They have spawned their own movie series called Stab. And a lot of these kids are fans of those movies and they kind of discuss uh, the tendencies of the killers in those movies uh, and in trying to actually figure out, hey, who might be the killer in Woodsboro in in this uh, current reign of terror? I should also mention they 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 end up enlisting the help of David Arquette's Dewey, who, uh, as I mentioned before, was in all the original movies, and he kind of ropes in Nev, Nev Campbell, Sidney Prescott, and uh, his ex-wife uh, Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers. Uh, we'll talk about how they factor in later. Um, Adam, I guess I want to ask you because we've had you've come on for different kinds of horror movies before, and Halloween just to go there is just like. You know, it's it's a different kind of horror movie where it's like it's like less winking and it is uh, more sh- like straight horror and uh, not kind of as in on the joke as the screen movies are in some way. I'm wondering, like, what about the screen movies? Like, really, like, is it because it sounds like you're even like not that you don't like the Halloween movies, but it, I I sense more of a passion for you in the screen movie. So I want to ask you broadly, what is it about these movies that like has just like uh, that that resonates with you so much, even compared to I would say maybe something like Halloween? Well, yeah, I definitely do like. Uh, the original Halloween is one of my favorite horror movies ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've liked some of the sequels. I like some of the new ones. Um, but yeah, no, the Scream, the Scream franchise is way, way more near and dear to my heart. Uh, I put the original Scream, the, the first movie, in my, in if I was making a Mount Rushmore of like my favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. it, it'd be on that. Um, I just, I love it so much. It, it introduced me to the horror genre. Uh, I'm a big horror fan. And Scream was kind of the start of that. I, I've watched it. And the, se- the original and the sequels, I don't know how many times, uh, countless times. And I, why is it so, you know, near and dear to me, aside from introducing me to the, the genre at a younger age? Uh, they're scary. They're funny. They're critiquing of uh, different aspects of both the horror movie genre. And I would say at different points, uh, you know, larger issues in general. I think Scream 3, Scream 3 when you think about it, it's probably the worst in the series, but mm. it has some very interesting things to say about um, how women have been treated in Hollywood. Huh. And which, which, yeah. And it, it's especially, um, I don't know what the exact word would be, but it's especially something considering the fact that uh, it was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Um, it's yeah, that's a whole can of worms. And I don't think it's really been talked about a lot. It came out in 2000. Um, so, whole, like, I mean, the Harvey Weinstein yeah. notwithstanding, well, you can't really say notwithstanding, but like, it came out like, you know, 17 and a half years before Me Too movement. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's, it's something that I really haven't seen talked about much because Scream 3 is probably, if not the most forgettable part of the franchise, then definitely the least liked movie of the franchise or the least acclaimed mm-hmm. of the franchise. But, like, a whole, there's a whole subplot about 
Sydney's mother being raped in Hollywood, you know, while trying to find roles. And like I said, 17 years or 22 years later, you look back and say, oh, Harvey Weinstein produces. This is this is something here. Um, all I have to say, and I think Screen 4 has some, a lot of stuff that was prescient, prescient about um, social media in it. And there's just, there's a lot, I think Screen 5, you know, as we'll talk about, has a lot to say about toxic fandom, um, which we, I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, there's just, there's a lot, there's more to these movies than your typical slasher. Sometimes it's as simple as adding humor and, you know, uh, self-reference to it. And other times I think there's more to say uh, than your typical slasher movie. Well, that, 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 that mean again, that's interesting for me to hear as, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the original, you know, you see all, the first four were directed by Wes Craven. This is the first one that has been produced since his death. And I mean, I think that the first one, like, I mean, was obviously like very unique in its own way. And just the, 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 the kind of tone it had for a horror movie. And I, and I really respected it when I watched it for that. But at the same time, I, I, I'm coming at this from a different perspective as you, I've not seen the others. And I'm, and I'm wondering like, uh, I mean, we we are almost we're more than ten years removed from Scream Four. So uh, when you need, when you come into something like this and you really love this movie, I'm wondering you love Scream Five, but like you're coming into this like uh, well after the others. So what are you like hoping to get out of like a new Scream at some point? Like, did you come in with any specific expectations of like something you wanted them to do with this, or were you just like? I'm here for this because like I, these, these normally work for me and what ultimately about this worked so well for you, because like you like really love this movie so much so that you went back the very next night after the first night you saw it. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really, I went into the movie pretty blind. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want anything spoiled for me. So you, so you didn't really know any of the plot? No, um, not really. Uh, I just knew there was a new cast, um, which I was all in favor for like, but I really didn't know much about it uh, i went in totally blind i just wanted to have a good time i wanted it to be you know faithful to the original without being you know a complete like shot for shot remake i i but i really didn't know much about it uh and yeah no i i just really really enjoyed it i had a great time in the theater uh and i'm definitely as a scream franchise devotee uh definitely satisfied and happy to welcome this into scream canon well so what about it worked the most for you though because like i mean i i I, i'm more mixed on it personally than you are because like as you intimated at earlier there's obviously a lot of commentary about fandom and like where movies where in franchise filmmaking quite frankly it's like honestly the most meta movie i've ever seen in my whole life and i've watched a lot of movies uh it is like constantly commenting on itself and about what we expect from our movies and uh what we what we want from them and how they satisfy our expectations so i'm wondering was it that part of it that really satisfied your expectation or was it or was that was it that part of it that really satisfied you as a devotee of these movies or did you like a lot of these new characters introduced in just the actual horror story that was more centrally in 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 the middle of this pot um can, can i say all the above i kind of sure I, sure, it all sure. Worked for me. I, yeah. I liked i liked the new characters uh okay. i was definitely more um more and I, I prefer the characters of this one to the new characters introduced in scream four hmm. um i i enjoyed how that it was uh there was definitely a lot of fan service but i think it was just the right amount of fan service where some of it was very overt some of it was you know intended to be it was all intended to be there but like so if it was part of the storyline, part of it's just, you know, offhand references um, or smaller things that, you know, you wouldn't catch unless you have seen the original movies 10 times or more like I have. Um, 
I, I enjoyed the plot. I enjoyed what I had to say about franchise filmmaking and fandom. Uh, it just it just all worked for me. I was just a big fan of almost everything. It's not a perfect movie. I'm not saying it's perfect. I just enjoyed pretty much every aspect of it. Fair enough. I guess what I will say is that, as you know, I'm like not as big and I'm not necessarily as big in horror as you, but I'm willing to watch most things whenever I have the time to do it. And I came in with like zero expectations also. Like I, I just, I just knew nothing about the plot. I guess I kind of knew in the back of my mind, they were bringing it back some of the old characters somehow, which I guess I, I, I kind of, I kind of assumed they would do to some extent. And I guess I just hoped I would get something that like, you know, approximated the original scream and its level of fun, but you know, uh, gave me some like, you know, tense moments also. And I, I don't think it necessarily uh, failed on either of those counts. So I'm, I, I I had some like really fun, uh, intense sequences. I, I I think where we should start talking though is that like I'm not I'm like still really really conflicted on like how much I enjoyed like how much this movie kept talking about movies. Come and we're gonna again we're gonna have it we're gonna have have our own discussion about that in its own spoiler section. But even before you get to the real spoilery parts of this movie, when they're just first discussing how to figure out the killer, there's a lot of talk about like movies and what they normally do in movies and how that can inform how they're going to find this killer. And I guess at a certain point, like I'm, I don't mind that I there's different kind of meta entertainment that I enjoy. And I, I can, a certain extent, like appreciate movie characters that seem like they love movies as much as I do talking about that. Uh, at a certain point in this movie though, I guess it got a little tiring for me and I got like a little exhausted about this movie talking about like, seeming like it was so aware of the fact that it was a movie and that these characters were talking about how they knew what was going to happen in the plot because of what happens in other movies and this movie is referring to those stab movies i referenced earlier which then refer then and obviously refer to the events of the earlier screen movies and i didn't get lost in the plot i i, I think it was fairly smart in how it filled in the blanks of like everything between screen one and screen five such that i wasn't necessarily lost but i, I found it like i every time they kind of went back and had a discussion about what happened in the stab or in the stab movies and what, what, what that meant for what was going to happen next. It happens. It's exchanges like that happened so many times that I, I just thought it got to be a little much for me. And at a certain point, I kind of felt like I wanted more story uh, with respect to these new characters. Cause I like a lot of these actors. And I think I, I think I could have connected with the new characters a little more if they spent less time talking about movies that are within their universe and events that already happened in their universe. and just kind of talked about their lives. So what, what is it? So I guess my, that's my long winded way of asking you, what did this movie have to stay about the state of movies that really resonated with you? Cause it seemed like that stuff probably worked more for you than it did for me. Um, well, as far as like how much, the screen movies reference movies that's kind of an integral part of the franchise you know the original scream talks a lot about oh here are the rules for how to survive a horror movie or you know scream 2 talks a bit about sequels um because it is a sequel scream 3 there's a uh, literally takes place on the set of stab 3 for the most part like that is the plot of the movie is that the cast is being killed and scream 4 is a big jab at remakes um so i'm not surprised that they kind of like went very all in on okay this is a reboot you know they, that they went all in a requel like a requel excuse me where yeah it's kind of a reboot but it's also in the timeline of you know the previous movies and uh so i'm not surprised that they did that i just think that's something you kind of have to accept with a screen movie that it's going to be self-referential and they're going to act almost like they know they're in a movie um i think that's kind of part of the 
part of the, either you, if you, it might be too much, it might be a little beat over the head, but that's just kind of part of the, part of the ride. Sure. I've, I should have mentioned before that this movie is directed by uh, Matt Bentinelli Open and Tyler Gillett, who uh, they, they actually directed, or wait, I, I thought they, yeah, they directed 2019's Ready or Not. You've seen Ready or Not, right? Yeah, I saw it once. I, I think I have it. I just haven't gone back and watched it a second time. Yeah, I, I like it though. I, yeah, I really like that movie. And one thing I've heard people talk about with respect to screaming. Now, I think you're right. Like, I should I shouldn't have like made it seem like this movie was doing something the others didn't. Like, I I I even knew, even though I haven't seen them, that the movies are you know fair, fairly like uh, like the like the kind of comment on movies. But like from what I gather, from what I've been reading from a lot of critics, uh, it seems like this one like probably probably did do it more than the others. And I. I what a point that some of those other critics I read have made is that like these guys who made Ready or Not, which like got a lot of credit for you know being a like an original movie that like uh made like a lot made it made like a turn of really good profit made like almost sixty million dollars on just a six million dollar budget on like a on like a wholly original like idea it wasn't like adapted from anything and these guys like so these same guys that like uh, directed that movie then like come into this one which is like like you could not get more like pre-existing franchise IP than like scream. And they kind of, it's kind of like they wanted to acknowledge, and I guess they didn't write the script, but like at the same time, uh, some of their, uh, some of their producing partners like did. And like, they wanted to like acknowledge the fact like, Hey guys, like we know this isn't something that like we, like we, we know it's not original and we're going to kind of explain, like we're going to use the plot of this movie to explain like why, like, it is important that we like have our own original spin on things and like uh, are, are very forward thinking about that. So I can kind of like respect I heard, it. I heard it. I heard it described almost as like a love letter to the original franchise. Sure. And I guess, uh, and I, and who knows, maybe if I had seen all of the other movies, like I, it, maybe, maybe it all clicks into place for me a little bit differently. And I kind of understand like a lot of the commentary that you hear coming from these characters throughout about the, about like, Okay, here are the beats that this normally hits. Here is what here's what we're going for here. And then there's a whole other discussion that happens when we'll jump into the spoiler section. So if if someone that like is like more familiar with the source material, basically, for lack of a better term, kind of gets what they're getting at, I guess, when they keep kind of talking about everything. Whereas at a certain point, like I just kind of like wanted them to like, I don't know, settle into their lives a little bit more. Because, you know, in in most in most horror movies that I really like, they like kind of take their time actually like getting to the kills. Not that like there's like a bunch of kills right off the bat in this movie necessarily. Uh, but like, you know, I think that they I, I kind of like want to like get a better sense for like what the life is that these people are living. So I feel like more of a sense of loss when they actually like die. Uh, and whereas like here we're just like thrown right into it though like we're thrown into it in so much as like we're kind of like there's some built-in connections i guess with a lot of characters of this movie right where we like learn uh and i I guess i can hold off on like the biggest spoiler about the connection to the original material but like we learned that the first few characters that die like all have some kind of connection to like characters from like the the original right and Mm -hmm. that that becomes like the pattern by which they are trying to follow this new fake ghost face and that's fine for me, though, that felt like a little bit of like a shorthand to like try and get you like invested in the story where I probably would have preferred to have like left these characters like on their own like or just like got, gotten to know these characters on their own terms and like what their life was like, you know, kind of at this high school. But like we learn like, for instance, the West character who I who, who I, I, I suppose that's like some kind of nod to Wes Craven that they name him that his yeah. mom is like a yeah. sheriff that was like around in the that, that, that was like around in the police department, like probably like, I don't know, working she, under- she was intro- she was introduced in school. Scream four. Same, same, same actress. 
Uh, yeah, same actress. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, uh, Mary Shelton, I think is her name. Is yes, yes, Sheriff Judy Hicks. So yeah, her, she she's not around for the first three movies, but she's a, she's introduced in Scream Four. Right. So like, but he 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 has like uh some kind of uh uh some kind of connection right there. And then we the, the Mindy and Chad, the twins who I mentioned earlier, uh, their mom is the sister of Randy Meeks, who is like one of the people that was killed in the earlier movies. Correct. Yeah. He he uh. He's in the first two. Spoiler: He dies in Scream Two. R.I.P. Randy. I love Randy. Okay, so like we're all these kids just happen to be friends with each other that who like all have connections, and that's fine. It's probably a small town, all that. But like, I think that that is where the movie like wanted me to like kind of connect with them, and maybe that's the one place where like I'm kind of like missing like a connection there where I, you know, I, I if you like showed me a picture of what Randy looked like, I probably remember from the original Scream, but I just don't have that relationship with him. So I feel like that have them having all that connection is maybe just kind of a shorthand to like try and get you to connect with them. And maybe I just didn't like really connect on them on that level. And I wanted to just like, I, I would have been happy with like, 15 more minutes of them just like living life as high scores. And maybe you don't even have to cut out all the other meta commentary I'm complaining about a little bit, but like, if you want to keep the movie like at under two hours, uh, then like you, you, then, then yeah, maybe cut some of that stuff out, but it sounds like, like for you, it's like, it's kind of second nature at this point when you hear someone like, Oh, that person's related to that person. And that person died. It's maybe just clicking into place for you a little quicker than it is for me. And you're able to like, kind of get a sense of this community a little better than I am. Is that fair to say? Yeah, probably. And I don't think you're wrong. Like, I do wish we spent a little bit more time with some of these characters. Um, there's one character who's only briefly in the movie who is connected to a character from the first movie. And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. he just is killed early. And like, there's not really, he only gets like, right. barely gets like two lines. Like, it's kind of pointless. But uh, I, I definitely get what you're saying. And I, I mean, yeah, it probably works a little better for me because. They have her like even even Randy's sister uh, played by Heather Matarazzo. She appears briefly in Scream 3. So when she pops up on screen, I'm like, oh, I'm like the Leo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like <laughs> pointing at the movie theater like or a movie screen like I know her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess I mean, and, and, I, and I don't want to make it seem like Adam's I mean, Adam loved this movie. But like, again, like he mentioned, like he has a couple of criticisms. So I don't want to make it seem like he's just like this is 100 percent perfect. And I and I think it sucks 100 percent or anything like that. That's just like one area where I saw where it probably could have like helped me get a little more invested in it. And I could have like maybe connected to these kids a little bit more because, you know, not a spoiler to say a lot of them die because most like most of the people die in most of these movies uh besides like the you know the three people that came back and i mean maybe maybe they'll bring back the people that made it out of this movie uh but like you know it's just i i i feel like you know each each individual death probably means a bit more if you're connected to people like um and 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 that's just where i and and that's just where i'm kind of at at that but like uh let me let let me like actually get a little more specific and talk about these characters we've been talking around a little bit so far so before we actually jump into the spoiler section i want to ask you uh personally what did you think more of the filmmaking in this adam and the way it kind of like had some of the the way some of these different kill scenes were done and the way like the movie actually kind of like tried to like actually get you kind of like in the back in the horror movie zone at various points of this movie. How did you think it executed on that level? Uh, I definitely think it executed pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, there are <laughs> a few shots. Or, yeah. There are a few scenes or a few shots that especially stood out to me um, at probably the biggest death in the movie. There's a really cool shot. I like of, of ghost face or i like the shot of like like the actual one i like the actual setup in the scene i enjoy the actual like camera shots um in parts of it 
Um, there's a scene where right before one character is killed, where there's a lot of a lot of set or I, there's a lot of um, one. There's an homage to Psycho, which I just got a really big kick out of. Mm. And two, there's just really good um, suspense building where this character is he closes he like he opens one door and you think okay the ghost face is gonna be behind the door and he closes the door and he's not there and then the character opens another door and you think uh ghost face is gonna be behind this one it's second time he closes it ghost face is not there and then he does it like a third time and he's still not there and you're like what is going on and then you know the scene concludes with a murder but um no i i, I that, that that was the that was the one scene i was also gonna highlight and like yeah I, I'll, I'll just say in a vacuum i think most of the kill scenes were like they were fine, you know, maybe not quite as like, you know, uh, creative as some of the stuff we talked about in Halloween, but that's fine. You know, Ghostface is like known for the stabbing and you just want to like he's also be- a person. He's a person. He's not like a superhuman, you know, uh, spirit being sent like to Michael Myers. Lots of people. Yeah, he's a there. Ghostface is a person like a literal person. That's who is yeah. Clumsy as clumsy as hell and gets the shit kicked out of him and just well, like. <laughs> yeah, again, I can't speak to like how whatever ghost faces there are in two, three, and four in, in one though, that's like, that was like one of my favorite things. Cause like, I was more familiar with like the Halloween stuff and I was more familiar with the Halloween movies, uh, at the, than I was with like scream at all. I, I, I'd watched, I'd watched those first. I'd, I'd seen, I had seen, uh, Halloween one. And then the, the 2018 one, we did the podcast on Jesus over three years ago at this point. Uh, I'd seen those before I'd ever watched Scream One. So when I watched Scream One, it was actually like very novel and interesting for me to see how like, how clumsy Ghostface was, and that was kind of cool. Uh, so I, I do appreciate those parts of this movie. I don't think he's uh, the Ghostface is as clumsy in this as he is in uh, the original, but he's just like you know they have better they they have more of a chance every time they're in the room with Ghostface than anyone does with Michael Myers. And like Hon- you know, honestly, more more people survive, I think survive their encounters with Ghostface in this in this. Uh- as of this episode in this movie than I think in probably any of them. I could be wrong. I, I haven't done the math, but I feel like more people get attacked and survive than a normal street movie. But in general, like, yeah. So, but like, even though um, the, the kills in Halloween that Michael Myers pulls off, like might be like more creative and visually interesting at the same time, like just the fact that like people actually are, have a decent chance of like, you know, uh, squirming out of a situation or getting a good punch or two in on Ghostface, like that makes these interesting in their own way. Even if like the actual uh, gore in uh, kills themselves are not as like unique and novel. Uh, but like what I will say though is that like all, most of them, most of those individual like scenes in this movie, like they are pretty compelling. Just because like uh, at any given point, like I I wouldn't be surprised if Ghostface like gets unmasked. Like I, I the movie didn't necessarily, I, I wasn't like conditioned to think there was some formula where I was not going to see who was under the mask until the end, because like the first one ends with there being two of them. So, you know, a- anytime they're in a fight with one of those here, like I'm like, I, I don't know how it's going to end for all I know. They could kill them. I could, they could kill one of these ghost faces and there could still be another one haunting them for the next 45 minutes of the movie. So like that makes all of these suspenseful in and of themselves. Cause like the, sh- the scenes are shot very well. But I I appreciate the one scene you were alluding to, where it's like a lot of fake outs, and like at a certain point I I was like rolling my eyes, and I was like, oh, it is kind of funny how like the filmmakers here are like preying on our expectations, and like they are they they know how we are conditioned to watch these horror movies, and they are gonna like you know fuck with that, and I like I I kind of appreciated that because I thought it was like a more like subtle way to like comment on all of these movies we're so used to, as opposed to like talking about it so, so much, which as I already described, 
got a little old for me. So I thought that was just like a very cool, like different kind of scene in a horror movie that just like knew, knew what the audience's expectations were and like, you know, subverted them accordingly. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And that's like, they're, they definitely went for that kind of, you know, to make fun of, you know, D and D from game of Thrones for, mm. for subverting expectations. Like, like I said, there's a character in a, a scene that's a big homage to psycho where it's a male character, a male blonde character in the shower and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, which I am like, I, I, again, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV screen, like <laughs> that's psycho. I get what they're doing here. Like, and it, literal, literal cuts to like, you know, the exact same pointing at a camera at a shower head is like in psycho. And no, I definitely agree. They definitely went with uh, some changing some things up. Do you have any other non-spoilery thoughts on this movie before we move into spoiler section? I have a lot of spoiler thoughts, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, but before, before, before we jump to there, I just wanted to like give you a chance to say, say anything else you could say to the people that might be on the fence about seeing this movie. Go see the movie. See <laughs> the even, if, even if you don't, even if you don't like, like it, like it, it's a good time. It's a fun movie. No. Yeah. I would agree with that everyone. Like, even though whatever you've heard me say to this point, like it's with like the caveat that like, I, I didn't have a bad time at it. I just like saw different ways. I like, I, I got, I got a little tired here and there of certain aspects of it. I wish I'd been different, but I wasn't like bored or like, Oh, I'm having a bad time here. I guess I would say, I just like, I, I, I just wanted some other things to be different, but like uh, the one thing I will reiterate is that like, even if I'm saying I didn't like these characters, I, I, I do like most of these actors. I kind of mentioned before, like I, I, I know a few of them from other things. I, uh, I, it's funny. Like I, I, Jack Quaid is like very similar in demeanor to Adam Brody, who plays a big part in ready or not. Uh, and I, it, it, he's a fun kind of presence to have in these movies where it's just like a, like a, you know, a, a different, a, a different kind of white guy, I guess, but like, a, like, a, like, a, like a white, a guy, a, a guy that gives off, gives off the white nerdy vibe in a way that like, I don't know if anyone quite does. And, uh, the, the original scream, I can't speak to the other ones again. Uh, but like, I, I, I liked it. I, I, I liked his vibe. I, I think, um, you know, Melissa Barrera, uh, obviously in the Heights is a very different kind of movie, but I think she like, you know, fits into this, like fits into this genre very well. And I've, I've really liked David Arquette. Like, I don't know what I've, I can't, honestly, I, I, besides the, I couldn't tell you the last time I like actually watched something that he was in that wasn't the first screen movie, but like, I, I feel like I vaguely remember thinking like he was just not as good of an actor as like Courtney Cox in the original and like really actually kind of enjoying his presence here and like an older version of that character. And I, I, I just think the acting is like pretty good all around and they did a good job of identifying the people that like, you know, to play these younger kids, but like, you know, gotten what my opinion was like a pretty good performance out of David Arquette. So I think like, you know, you're not going to like come out of this thinking like, Oh, wow, this is just like, you know, like a the, the, that, that one performance is like took me out of it or anything like that. So Sorry, it's, funny that you you, it's funny that you mentioned you like Adam Brody in mm-hmm. uh, Ready or Not because then you might like Adam Brody in Scream 4. Oh, he's in Scream 4? Yeah, he's a, he's a minor character. It's He's not like in it a lot. He's a minor character. Yeah, that must have been a weird time for him because that was like four years after the OC ended. I don't know what he was doing around that time. Probably, I will probably go back and watch these movies at some point, especially if they announce like a Scream 6 or something. I'm not going to go into the next one like uh, just like at a loss. But like, I mean, even though Adam, like he said, probably put in the request to like, 
do this episode like over a year ago, like I, I probably let it slip my mind for most of, uh, for most of 2021. So I won't be caught off guard again and I will go back and watch everything and, um, enjoy Adam Brody, who is, uh, who's great. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I, I think, I, I think it's hard, it's hard to like talk much more about this movie than we already have without jumping into spoilers again. Uh, if you're just someone that likes to go to horror movies to have, have a jump scare and have some tense scenes, you're going to get something out of this. And if like a bunch of meta commentary about the state of the film industry, is something you're into, you'll also enjoy this. So, uh, you know, if, 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 if anything we've said to this point, like makes you inclined to go see it, see it and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. But we're going to uh, jump off into spoiler territory now. So, Adam, uh, as someone that probably knows a lot of the beats of these movies, did the end in the reveals of uh, who uh, who these killers? Uh, I guess that's uh, it's a it's a little um, um, re- revelation right there. But killers did did the ultimate revelation about like who was uh, haunting the town this time. Did it surprise you? Did it like uh, make sense? Did it click into place in a way that like actually like was like a, uh, you know, a well-executed revelation for you? In the words of Jack Quaid in this very movie, I know it's a bummer to me. I was, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I kind of, I'm very bad at solving whodunits in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I purposefully like trying to let myself when I'm watching a movie, like, try to solve it, I guess. I don't want to be the one to solve it. I want to be surprised. Oh, okay. So I was, I mean, I wouldn't say I was like shocked, but I was like, when when they did reveal Jack Quaid as one of the two killers, uh, I was a little bummed because I did really enjoy his character. I really had fun watching him because um, he Jack Quaid acted like what a normal person would act like in a horror movie. Like, let's get the fuck out of town. No, there's no way in hell I'm going back to the murder hospital where, you know, we've witnessed a death or multiple deaths and nearly been butchered ourselves and so on and so forth. So I was a little bummed that he was one of the killers. Um, I one of the issues I had with the movie is that like I didn't really care. I wasn't. I didn't feel like betrayed that Mikey Madison or yeah, Mikey Madison's her name, right? Amber. Yep, that's the character. What's that's her? the actress's name. Amber, Amber and the yeah, actress is yeah, Mikey yeah. Madison. Yeah, yeah. The character's name slipped my mind for a second, but that's kind of the point. Is that I didn't really care that she was a killer uh, because I did, I didn't feel betrayed. Like I felt betrayed when you know Billy Loomis was revealed to be the killer or in Scream Two. Uh, where one of the killers is revealed or I, I didn't feel like the same way that when Amber was revealed as a killer, cause like she wasn't in the movie very much. Right. Um, so that goes back to, I guess, one of my criticisms where I just wanted a little more of these kids hanging out. It's a little weird. Cause like, we're supposed to be connected to her because like she's the Tara's best friend, but Tara's laid up in the hospital for a lot of this. Like we see them interacting yeah. in that first scene. And I want to ask you about how all that stuff tracks also, but let me ask you then separately from that, if, uh, did you, how, how did you feel about like the, as someone that like has a long relationship with these movies were you was it like a was it like a more well-executed oh shit moment for you when sam reveals that her father is actually billy loomis um yeah yeah i'd say it was kind of an oh shit moment um i didn't really see that coming like i said i tried to keep any spoilers away i don't know if anything leaked i tried to purposefully stay away from any spoilers so um that was definitely not something i expected um when i was trying to think like oh, what could this be this big family secret? Like, I, I, I don't think that was the first that came to mind. Also, side note, Billy Loomis, notably bad boyfriend. Not only was he trying to murder Sydney and her friends, he also cheated on her. That's, I mean, that's over three. I mean, that's that's three strikes. Yeah, geez, not great. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, bad on all levels. Yeah, so we learned that that's the reason like Sam kind of leaves town uh, because she's like worried, well, shit, I found out my biological father is a serial killer. Maybe that means I'm dangerous. I need to get away from my family. I really care about them. I'm going to go away and 
it's only something as big as a murder attempt on her sister will bring her back. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess I was like, oh, that's an interesting twist. It obviously doesn't mean as, so, as much to someone that doesn't like have a long history with these movies. But I guess the other, uh, I, 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 I guess let me, let me back up again, though, to where you were just talking about like uh, how your relationship with these characters matters. And you would have liked to have been a little more like, you know, betrayed by Amber. And I, I mean, again, I obviously agree there, but I'm wondering, again, you went back to the movie again. So one of the things I was like, huh? And I wish I had gone to the movies again to see if it all made sense when it's revealed that Richie is like actually one of the killers here, uh, notwithstanding all the reasoning behind that, which we'll talk about in a minute. I want to know from a uh, logic standpoint, was it all consistent? Did it make sense as much as it needed to for you when you watched this movie again, knowing who the killers were? Um, yeah, I think it did. There wasn't anything that made me think, oh, this doesn't quite compute because we're led to believe that like we're led to believe that richie and sam live some hours away from them but it's never like established where richie was the night of like the murder attempt you know yeah i I definitely don't think it's out of the realm of possibility um i do think it's interesting um what's funny is that in the opening scene when ghostface is stalking uh tara uh he's texting her from amber's phone and he's like uh amber's phone you shouldn't have left it where it gets so easily cloned and it's like no He's just using Amber's, or it's just Amber using her phone. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say there's anything that didn't quite make sense. And I think there were one or two things that make a little more sense in in hindsight, watching it again, like in a scene that I'm sure we'll get to uh, in the hospital where uh, beloved Dewey is, is murdered. Richie's just kind of like hanging out, I guess, and not helping. I guess they're in the elevator, but you know, like there's kind of like there's things he could have been doing like why is he getting a why they're going to this house party at the end to get ostensibly get tara's inhaler and get the hell out of town why is he going and like hanging out and asking for a beer like there are things that make more sense well, he's got to keep his cover like, until he doesn't um well that's what, I'm, that's what i'm saying though is that why is he if they're just getting in and out and leaving why is he asking for a beer if he's driving even like, well, I, well, well, I guess I didn't get hung up on make, that because he obviously wanted to stay and do some murdering in the house where the murders that's what, happened. That's back. what I'm saying. I, that's what I'm saying. That it makes sense now, knowing he's a killer. It's like, well, well oh, I, I think the, the, the one thing that didn't totally track for me on that, I guess, was like how they could actually guarantee that they would need to go there for the inhaler. Like maybe Amber knew that they had an extra inhaler there, but like, how did they actually know that like she would like not have one of her others on her? Like that just seemed like like to get them to that house. It seemed like a bit of a, uh, you know, that seemed like a bit of like a I don't know contrivance or a, uh, yeah, a something that, something like yada yada yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about that when I was watching it a second time where she's like, I don't have my inhaler, and Sam's like, we can go to a pharmacy. If Tara says yes, then they just don't go to the house. <laughs> uh, like let's go to a pharmacy. But she says, you know, and I thought about that. And I was like, if she just said let's go to a pharmacy, then like okay they don't go there maybe they would have thought maybe like you know richie and amber would have thought of something else but like i don't know and richie richie took her one of her inhalers maybe amber grabbed the other one while the last time that they saw each other i i'm not sure that's not that's not mentioned um but maybe that was it maybe just like she hit it while tara was there the last time yeah and again i like i've, I've already like made it clear that i have some criticisms of this movie but the one thing i will give it a lot of credit for is as you know when we talked about halloween kills bo- both you kayla and or all of us, you, Kayla, and I, 
we all had a lot of like, we all were kind of in agreement and you guys kind of reassured me like, no, you do not have to accept characters being this dumb in horror movies. While like, yeah, you know, someone walking down to the basement alone is enough of a, you know, a stupid thing to do, which they kind of comment on in this movie. Like you don't have to accept someone being that dumb and going into that house for no reason. And there weren't a ton of moments like that in this movie. You know, I think there's, there's another discussion to be had about like, do Sydney and Gail actually like have any real reason to go back there? Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, you, you, you would know better than me. I don't know. There's a lot of like, do, do the, do scream two through four involve like Ghostface chasing people from town to town or going out of state to like go find someone? Um, um, I mean, yes to no. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In, in scream two, um, Sydney and Randy are away at college in mm. another state, I think in Ohio. Um, and Dewey comes to like when he it's a whole thing. I'm not gonna get. Oh, that's fine, but it's like okay, so like, okay, so that get, that gives yes. them a little more yeah. reasoning for why they would actually like go to the town here, and they have some reason to suspect that maybe this this version of Ghostface would come after them. So that so that's fine, and it's not it's not as dumb, and there's a little more like you know foundation for that. But like I I guess that's now a fear I have when I'm going into horror movies. It's like I think you can make a good horror movie without having dumb characters, and I don't think anyone does anything necessarily dumb here. You know, like like unbeknownst to them, there they might be conditioned in to expect that maybe someone in one of the friend groups around them might be the killer because that's a lot of what they're talking about in here is that like you know dewey's advising them you know look at the friend group of the first victim or whatever and that's fine but like you can't really get away from those people if they're in your town so it's not like anyone is doing Which, anything like incredibly dumb wrong. dewey's oh. also wrong really there. i noticed that i'm like but yeah like because i'm like casey becker's not in the drew barrymore's character in the first movie is not in the friend group of like sydney prescott like there's a comment in the first movie where like Sydney Prescott and Tatum, her friend, uh, played by Rose McGowan in the first movie. Like she's like, oh, Casey Becker, she sits next to me in English. Like, not like, oh, Casey Becker, that's my good friend. Like the characters, with the exception of Sydney, the main characters are not even upset by Casey's death. They're cracking jokes about it. Like, so even like Dewey's wrong there. That pissed me off. Uh -huh. it didn't yeah, I guess I, I was yeah, like, no. that's just wrong. I think I actually did kind of I think I actually did kind of remember that about Sydney Prescott uh, too, if I had thought about it and Sydney Prescott and uh, Sydney Prescott and Drew Barrymore's character. But I, uh, but yeah, but like, I, I think you'd agree with me on the whole though. There weren't like any characters doing like really illogical shit here. No, no, I don't yeah. think so. And actually another thing about it, it's at what Dewey said about the killer being in the friend group of the first victim is not true in any of the movies. I guess in, in, in theory, he was kind of right here, but it was still like, actually not the best advice in a vacuum based on what he yeah. should have known from his experience. Yeah, um, it's not, yeah, it's not true in any of the movies. The closest you could get is maybe Scream 4, but they're not, they're, they're not friends. Like, they don't like, they just don't like each other. And the second movie, they don't know each other. In the third movie, they're not friends. Like, yeah, sorry. To get on a tangent, it's just not true. No, no, I know. I, well, it's interesting, but it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a big moment of this movie where like, the, the they go to Dewey for help and he's in, in, and he, you know, he decides to get back into it. He's like mostly retired is what we're led to believe. And, uh, nevertheless, uh, um, uh, not voluntarily retired. Oh, sure. But he goes back and offers his, uh, his sage wisdom, which again, as Adam has made it clear, wasn't maybe like as accurate as it could have been, but you know, it, um, it ends up helping out and it, knowing that like, Hey, this is actually kind of consistent with prior movies. I'm not so bothered by Gail and, uh, Sydney feeling, uh, feeling a obligation to come back or a necessity to come back. And they do. And I mean, I think everyone's like, you know, fairly smart for the most part too. Like not only are they not dumb, but I feel like everyone's like 
kind, I mean, kind of smart. I mean, I guess at some point, like, you know, these people are going to get caught by necessity, but like they were smart enough to like get it, get their scheme to that point. But like, it was kind of a cool moment where Gail and Sydney are like smart enough to like, just like not fall for that act at the house when Amber tries to put on, you know, it, it's, it's just refreshing to me when horrors or thrillers or action movies can generate suspense from like characters all like doing whatever the probably the smartest thing is to do in a given situation. It's hard to like say that Amber and Richie are really dumb at any point. Cause like, you know, like by, by, by the nature of their actions, they're going to attract attention. Like the odds are of them getting caught or something like maybe they'll, maybe they'll get what, maybe they'll accomplish their goals, but like, you know, for the most part to even get to where they do and not get caught is, is something. So I, I, I guess that's just something that like, I, I would have rolled my eyes out a lot and just like, it would make me out on like a lesser movie if the characters were just doing dumb stuff for the sake of the plot. And even if I have some issues with the plot, that's certainly not it. I mean, so I guess, I guess my next question then for you would be like, when we actually finally have the reveal and I understand like you're somewhat surprised, you're not necessarily someone that's like out in front predicting everything. I normally am not either. I didn't really predict it here. Um, what did you like? What did you think when they actually kind of had their big moment where they just kind of explained their their motivations, like as far as like wanting to, you know, I guess would the correct way of stating it be create some different material because they weren't happy with her stab was going. What did you ultimately think of uh, those revelations? I, in general, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little nitpick. Like I was listening to another review, like another podcast reviewing the movie, and they're like, "Well, it kind of seemed like." it wasn't really their character's motivation. It was just like the writer speaking through the characters. And I'm like, I get that. I can kind of see where that's coming from, mm-hmm. but I just, but I did enjoy, I did like it. I like that. I did it. I did like that motive. Um, I have people in my life without going into detail who I would say are uh, toxically in, infatuated in a fandom. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of dug that as a motive and went to the text that person and be like, Hey, you should see this movie. Um, not to the point where I think they would, you know, kill anyone over their fandom, but like, you know, the point where I'm like, this is not really healthy. So I definitely dug that they kind of dug into that. Like they kind of got into, Hey, some of these fans are, some people are taking this probably a little more seriously than they should. Luckily, you know, I haven't heard of anyone getting killed over how much they hated the last Jedi or something, but like, um, they do make a reference to the Knives Out guy. They do. They do, which I really, I thought was hilarious. Um, but I, I really, I know, I, I really like the motive. And this is the second movie in a row where the motive isn't personal, I guess. Um, in Scream 4, the motive's not quite personal. It's kind of a bigger point. Uh, the first three, it's it's very personal. But mm. um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I did enjoy that. I, I thought it was a a good motive. Yeah. I guess for me, it got lost in the sauce a little bit. Um, and it, for, for, yeah, I think yeah, it goes, it, it goes, it goes without saying that these are examples of fans that have uh, taken it, taken it too far. But I think maybe there's not necessarily another way to get that message across without doing it the way they did it. It's just in the moment. Like I feel, I feel like the movie has spent so much time talking about the different stab stuff that like, I think I think I almost like zoned it out or like wasn't as in tune to all of the messaging they were trying to get across in that moment because I had just I I I I had heard so much of it at that point that I wasn't really like there for it. And at that point, I'm like, oh man, like 
these motivations like aren't super compelling to me. So while I like their performances and I thought all the action in the end was well executed, I don't know if that stuff like necessarily landed as much for me as I as, as I wish it could have. Hmm. I'm trying to think if there's anything else there uh, that we didn't really necessarily touch on. Were there were there were there any other parts of that of that final sequence that you thought were well particularly well executed from an from an action standpoint as they are uh, like navigating around that house or maybe even the revelation of what house they're in. Oh, oh God, the revelation of what house they're in. The second they what, showed what, what, the what did you think about that? Cause like we had been in that house for a while at that point, but all of a sudden they, they, they kind of like shot a different way. And we were like, I was like, even me who doesn't know the house as well was like, Oh wow. That's interesting that they were able to do that. No, um, I, I don't want to toot my own horn here. So in the opening scene, <laughs> I'm like this house the opening scene of the movie, like, I'm like, this house looks like Casey Becker's house from the uh, first movie. I'm like, this looks familiar. And like, Tara has some mannerisms in that opening scene that are similar to Drew Barrymore's in the opening scene of the original. And they never, they never say, oh, this is Casey Becker's house or anything like that. And I'm like, okay, I move on. Um, and the movie moves on. So we get to that last scene and I'm like, parts of this, this looks kind of familiar. Like this definitely looks familiar. Like, uh, and then when they have the big reveal, like the uh, I caught it right when Sydney catches it in the movie, when it cuts to the GPS shot of the GPS and says Turner Lane. I was like, no, I literally I looked at my wife Kayla and I'm like, no. And then they're like, and Sydney's like, oh shit, that's Dumacher's house. Like, I I loved it. Um, yeah, I mean there, there were other Easter eggs in that last scene too that I really liked. Uh, well, were but- they were there any of those that you did want to shout out? Oh God, there's a bunch. Um, using the uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Red Right Hand, which is used in I think all but one movie. Um, there's a whole list of this on on Reddit. Um, the fact that what's call it? Um, there's a close up on in the you know the final stat when Sam kills Richie. Her final stab motion is an exact same shot as uh, Billy Loomis's stab motion when he's about to kill Sydney at the end of Scream One. Hmm. Um, Oh, my favorite might be actually uh, reprising Dewey's theme, which is from Scream 2, uh-huh. um, which is when they for, the first couple of notes of that came on. I that was a moment where I like was like tapping my my wife's like leg. I'm like, oh, my God, they brought back Dewey's theme. They brought back Dewey's theme. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a shout out. So a big controversy in the in the Scream fandom for the past 11 years has been whether or not Hayden Panettiere's character survives Scream 4. Because the last time we see her in Scream 4, she's been stabbed in the gut and she's kind of writhing on the floor. But they never address whether or not she survives. It's been a big argument back and forth. And there's a little Easter egg um, when Jack Quaid is watching videos about stab on YouTube. There's a recommended video that's like interview with Woodsboro survivor Kirby Reed, which sent the whole fandom into a tizzy. The fact that Sydney is married with kids. She's married to um, Patrick Dempsey's character from Scream 3 because they mentioned his name. So it's definitely him. Yeah. Yeah. Which also kind of bugged me. I'm like, hey, you know what? Who would be good to help you hunt down uh, a psychotic killer? Your detective husband. That <laughs> might help. But I guess Patrick Dempsey wasn't available. Maybe he'll be back for Scream 6. And what is Patrick Dempsey else? What, what else does he have going on? I, I, I haven't watched Grey's Anatomy in years, but I, I, I know he hasn't been on it for as a regular for a long time. He, he easily could have come back for this just to have a fun time. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great question. Maybe he'll be back for Stab Six or for Scream Six. Jeez. Um, 
And the reason why I say there will be a Scream 6 is that because at, if you stayed, not for the whole credits, there's no after credits or mid credit scene, but um, when the movie cuts to, it cuts to the end of the final scene, it says for Wes. So it's a dedication to Wes Craven, which obviously very sweet. We love Wes Craven. But after that, for a second, it cuts to a frame of Ghostface like cleaning his knife. Oh, sorry. It's another thing is that Ghostface cleans his knife and that all the time, which is a thing in all the movies, um, mm-hmm. a trait that all the ghost faces have, depending no matter who the killer is. And Sam does that when after he, she kills Richie. So I thoroughly love that. But also, so like I said, it cuts to Ghostface, a, spla- a quick flash. That happened, not necessarily him cleaning the knife, but there's a flash of Ghostface's face after Scream 1 and after Scream 2, indicating the story wasn't finished. And that's what Wes Craven said, is that this is why the sto- this shows the story's not finished. It's not there at the end of Scream 3. It's not there at the end of Scream 4. So the fact that there is a flash of Ghostface at the end of the movie indicates to the fans that there will be more to this story. So mm. uh, that those are that's not a comprehensive list of the Easter eggs. It's just some of my favorite ones. Um, I, yeah, no, I'm definitely, there were definitely some scenes where they're talking about, you know, how toxic some of these fans are. And um, my wife was looking at me very pointedly. and was like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I haven't killed anyone over the screen movies. I'm not that bad. I'm <laughs> like, at least, at least two levels below that. Well, and it's a good thing you like this movie because uh, you know, it's what would have happened if you were disappointed yeah. at the direction these movies are going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff I could say about this movie. I mean, I got a bunch of notes and stuff um, that we well, can get I don't mean my, well, my, like, well, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, where the, I, that's why I, I, I'm, I, I have mostly said what I have come to say. So were there any other things that, that as, as I usually end these podcasts by asking people, what other parts of this movie that I haven't asked you about did you uh, want to talk about? Or is there anything important that you should mention that I didn't already touch on? Um, yeah, yeah. So some things I want to touch on. So um, we barely mentioned this. Um, there are three, three deaths that hit especially hard. Um, the first one chronologically. The first oh, shit. Yeah, we didn't really talk about Dewey's. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, okay. So the first one I want to talk about actually are Judy Hicks and Wes Hicks's death, uh, deaths because those hit me harder than I would have thought because Judy Hicks, like I said, is introduced in the fourth movie. She's not a super likable character. She's kind of annoying and kind of divisive in the screen fandom. Um, I was never really attached to her or anything. She's only in one movie. Um, but like just that scene is very affecting um, because if, so if you're listening to this part, you should have already seen it. But the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, that Ghostface is taunting her and, and about how he's going to kill her son. That's that's kind of another level for screen. Like obviously in every screen movie, like, you know, there's people getting killed and taunted and stuff and, but like taunting a mother about how you're going to murder her son is brutal. Mm. Um, and then the fact, you know, just like the fact that one, like she's racing home to save her son and just gets like, is like just bolting to the door and just gets murdered in broad daylight. That's, that's rough. And the fact that she failed and couldn't protect her son, and he's killed a few minutes later is just, it's just rough. And also I did, I went, to, I jotted this down in my notes, but seems like Ghostface. I mean, like I said, he's a murderer in every movie. But like, is especially mean in this one, like um, between, like I said, taunting Judy or just like stamping on Tara's ankle and just sh- shattering her ankle in the in the opening scene. Like Ghostface is mean in this movie, which is great. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, 
Dewey's death is obviously the biggest one. Um, I came into the movie, like I said, I, I, I didn't come in with any spoilers. I didn't want to know. I saw this movie a few days after it premiered, so I purposefully avoided any spoilers. Yeah, not like you had um, any important life events going on that could distract you from spoilers. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Scream was at least, at least, it was in the top three biggest things for me this weekend, for sure. Yeah. Or this past <laughs> week, for sure. But yeah, no, like, it, that was definitely affected, like, affecting. I came in expecting, kind of expecting him to die, thinking that if any of the original cast was going to die, it would be him, partially because David Arquette's the lowest in the totem pole of stardom, I think, right now among the three main cast members. Um, so I'm like, his storyline might be done here. Um, so I wasn't like shocked that he died, but I was very appreciative that like, he went out like a badass, like beating the shit out of Ghostface. And the only reason Ghostface survived is because she was wearing a bulletproof vest at the time. Yeah, because um, that's something that uh, 17 year olds can easily procure. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Everyone knows. It's, I mean, this is America after all. But no, I, the, the scene was great. Like the fact that he just kicked Ghostface's ass and just like, got unlucky by a poorly timed phone call like great scene he got you know he got the slow motion like action shot of him reloading the gun and he went out saving people like uh it, it was that was just, uh, just such a great scene what a, honestly probably one of my favorite scenes in any screen movie just like the whole thing the kill is is brutal but like you need to obviously be brutal to kill him because this man's been stabbed like 15 times um like you need to really man? make sure he's dead. Man? Dewey, yeah. No, I'm saying Dewey's been stabbed like 15 times. Oh, oh I thought you were talking about Ghostface, but I forgot. Ghostface got shot. No, me. no, no. Like I'm like he's Dewey just been got stabbed, stabbed in the other movies. Mean? I mean, in all honesty, Dewey really should have died in the second movie because everything points to him dying. Like he's literally left for dead overnight. There's no way he should have survived that. But that's besides the point. Like that was just brutal. Like, getting stabbed twice, like. A knife in the front, a knife in the back, and just being gutted like that. That was just, I mean, that was brutal. Um, the death, the kills were very brutal in this movie, which I kind of appreciate. Like, I mean, I appreciate, like, <laughs> they were, they were like impressively brutal. Probably, I mean, there's other brutal kills in the Scream series, but like, there's only two in the first four movies, I think, that would really compare to almost any of them in this one. Uh, and that mm-hmm. would be Steven's death, the first kill in Scream One. And Olivia's kill in Scream 4, where like both of them are shown to be like legitimately disemboweled and like they're graphic, but like the kills were really graphic in this movie. So yeah, that was something I was kind of impressed by. Let me look at my notes. Like I said, a lot of Easter eggs. Um, Kirby's alive, which is really cool. And then yeah, just the thing for the, the series as a whole as a big fan. I'm impressed by how they're passing the torch, I guess, a bit. Uh, because I know uh Ryan C. Showers, who does a Scream podcast. He did. He counted up the screen time for uh, the main character, the the main trio, and they're all like 11, 12 minutes. They're not in this movie a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. They so they really had to pass the torch to the new cast um, because Scream's kind of different from most horror franchises because because the killer is different in each one. Like they're wearing the same costume, but like the killer is different. It's the same character, the same main characters. Um, so having being able to, you know have a new cast is probably is more difficult for this franchise than probably any other horror franchise that I can think of. Like in Halloween, like, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis might be in it. But like you can have a whole different cast, you know, Friday the 13th, the, the characters are interchangeable. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, the characters are basically interchangeable. It's the killers that are the same, but it's been the opposite in this one. Um, and I, they, they, 
I don't know if they were really trying to pass the torch in Scream 4 because basically every new character dies, but like they failed. Like they didn't set up a new fr- a new trilogy or a new a new run of movies in the fourth one. Um, I think they did a very good job of that in this one. Uh, and I'm definitely, I'm really intrigued to see where they go from here. I definitely think there will be a Scream 6. Um, I don't know if if Sydney and Gail, if, if Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox will be involved. Um, I kind of want to, I don't think Courtney Cox will be. I think Courtney Cox will just going to be like, she has no reason to be back involved in this again uh, now that Dewey is dead. Um, I would like to see Nev Campbell, kind of like a godfather kind of role. Like maybe she like drops in for like, advice or something but like isn't really a main member of the cast but like i'm just very intrigued where they take this franchise and i'm, I'm definitely bought in i think the radio silence guys did a great job like, like i said i really 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 like this movie so definitely interested to see where it goes from here and rant yeah i mean i they, there certainly was i guess more of a, a torch passing in this and i and I, I, I'm totally cool with like Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette's performances. Obviously don't have to worry as much about him going forward, but like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think this movie would necessarily be like, I, I think it, I think it still works to whatever extent it does, like probably even without them though, it's, it's nice to have them around, you know, it's like they're good enough actors that it's not like distractingly bad that they're shoehorned in there, but it, for whatever reason, like it didn't, they, they, they didn't want to like have to strain the uh, believability of the plot to get Gail and Sydney back again. I, I think the, they would still be able to like, you know, do their thing and it'd be fine. And, and like w- without them and just with whatever other characters they created, even if again, I would have rather them like done a better job of like, you know, getting us investing in these characters. You mentioned like the, the, uh, the kills of uh, uh, Wes and uh, it's Judy, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Judy. You, Judy. Yeah. You, well, you may like, I mean, uh, and I probably still fall in the camp of like, I look, I, I would have rather, like, I mean, it helped that like, I knew who that actor was through other stuff, but like probably would have like been more gutted by it to the extent you were, if I just like, you know, cared a little bit more about a little bit more about him though. I mean, I, I, I did like her performance enough that I really did like think she, you know, cared about her son and, you know, it obviously had some kind of life that was worth living. It's, it was even nice how the, I liked how the scene was set with all the fake outs with the fridge door and all that, because yeah. showed him like getting ready for dinner with his mom in a way that felt like familiar to him. And thus, like, we kind of got a sense of like what their relationship was like. So it was, it was crushing on that level though. I think it could have even like moved me more if they'd done a better job of just setting it up. But um, again, like I, again, I thought those scenes like were all technically done very well. And, you know, I, I liked all the performances for the most part. And I just thought that the, I, I I just had some ways that I thought the movie could have just like been done better, but I think like in hearing and talking about it with Adam, I've talked myself into like liking it more than I did like when I left it. So good. that's good. good. So I also really enjoy. I really enjoyed uh, Mindy. I can't remember the actress's name. Um, her, her name uh, is Jasmine, uh, her name is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Right, Jasmine Savoy Brown. I liked her character a lot. Really enjoyed anytime she was on screen. But like one thing, another nitpick that I had was like there were a couple of characters who were like in this group who just like. You could cut them out of the movie entirely. The character of Liv, like, is barely in the movie. Yeah, well, um, she 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 won't have she won't have sex with uh with Chad. That's that that's her yeah. character trait. And then she will, which was a very funny scene where, like, she's like, "Okay, like, let's go do this," and he's like, "No, I think I'm gonna stay down here in the party where there are all these witnesses." Like, <laughs> which is the entirely reason. Case of the killer. Yeah, say. that was funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that was hysterical. Like, I enjoyed that. Like. But like, yeah, she was barely in the movie. Um, the character of Vince, who if you blinked, you'd miss him. 
um, who was killed, like the first person actually killed in the movie. Who, like we learned, he like hooked up with Liv over the summer and like wanted to kind of be around her, and that and that he's the one that like has some like he had some other relation to Stu. Or... Yes. Yeah, he was he was Stu's nephew, but like okay. they just casually drop that and then never come back to it. Like he's not mm-hmm. relevant to the movie, but the kill scene was very cool, if only because, like I said, they brought back Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which is in uh, three of the other four movies. If there's one movie that they left it mm-hmm. out, but I can't remember which one. But... Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll uh, second you on uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown's Mindy. Again, I don't think they did enough with any of these kids, but I just think she's like a really good actor. Again, people, I know not everyone has Showtime, but watch watch Yellow Jackets if you're not. Uh, and I, I think she's like such a good actor. And even in that scene where it was like, she was like, maybe going to hook up with that girl on the couch or whatever. Like, I just thought she did a good job of like conveying a lot about that character with honestly, not that much screen time overall, as much as any I, of them should have had. I think she did the best of any character that wasn't, I mean, like the, the, it focus, the movie focuses so closely on Sam and Tara and Richie to a, lot, a little bit lesser extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone else is kind of in a tertiary role. Yeah. Um, I think she definitely did the best with that limited screen time. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think Jenna Ortega did a great job. I think Jack Clay did a great job. Um, I think, I think, you know, Sam was a great character. Like I, I had no complaints about them. It's just like I said, a couple of the tertiary characters where it's like you, if you remove them from the movie, nothing changes. Yeah. Maybe that's another way to like, you know, make them care more about the other people if they have more time because you remove those people. But uh, again, like I could have used more with just about, all of the new characters, even if I, again, I like most of these actors. All right. Well, I think that about does it. Uh, Adam obviously highly recommends this movie. I think like, obviously if you're like, have, have the more connections to the prior movies than I do, you're definitely going to get something out of it. And again, I got something out of it, even if like, I didn't like uh, unabashedly love the movie. Like I wanted to, but I think Adam's talked me into liking it more. So that is scream 2022. Or uh, Scream 5, as I think it should have just been called in the first place. But yeah, uh, Adam, before we get out of here, again, you might have, may or may not have had a couple other life events happen in the last week. So I understand if you don't have a lot of other recommendations, as we uh, normally ask people for here. But do you have anything else you want to direct people towards TV or movie-wise, things you've been watching or even reading? If anything else you want to plug while you're here from a content perspective. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was like, I, mean, I haven't been watching a ton of stuff lately, but reading, I am reading a book uh, called The Beatles Tune In. It's a three-part book series of which only one has been released uh, because they're incredibly comprehensive. Uh, if you're, it's by Mark Lewison. So it's about the Beatles? Beatles? It's about the Beatles. Is it like extra um, insight on top of this documentary that I still haven't watched? Uh, well, yes, definitely watch the documentary when you get a chance. It's very, very good. It's a lot. It is like eight hours of Beatles content. Mm-hmm. Um, this Beatles book, it's so comprehensive. Like I said, it's part one of three. It was released in 2013. The second one hasn't been released yet because he's still working on it. But like this book is 800 pages and it only gets to 1962. Like hmm. it's incredibly comprehensive. It's if you're a Beatles fan, like it's gotta be like the Beatles series to read, or I assume it will be when it's completed. Hopefully it is completed. Uh, hopefully we're not waiting like Game of Thrones. But like um, it's just it's an incredible book. So much information. I thought I knew most of what there was to be known about the Beatles. And I'm not even finished with this this book yet. And it I've learned so much about them and about their personalities and relationships and all this different stuff. I, it's fascinating. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, if you like watch, it's called The Get Back, right? The documentary? The documentary is called The Beatles Get Back. And the Beatles, Beatles get colon Get Back, not like The Beatles Get Back. Uh, okay, um, but yeah, I recommend that too. 
Right. So if you watch that and like, Hey, I want even more Beatles content, Adam just gave you a good one. One thing I'll say, I guess I haven't actually talked about yet on the podcast. I've watched, uh, the first three episodes of peacemaker, which is, uh, the new, uh, it's the new HBO max series based on John Cena's character from James Gunn's the suicide squad, uh, which, uh, came out last year. And like, I guess they just really like that character so much in that movie that they're like, all right, we're going to need to like already get ahead on this and like turn it into a series, which I was a little skeptical about it seemed a little like you know exploitative and just trying to jump on some trend before it even became a thing but i really they put the first three episodes on it uh i guess as at, at the point at which people are listening to this they'll have been off for two weeks so i'm guessing like maybe episodes four at least episode four maybe episode five will drop by the time people are listening to this but i really like the first three uh i just think john cena is honestly probably our best comedy star working today in movies or tv He's just really, really good at what he does and uh, is incredibly entertaining. But the it obviously has a, James Gunn actually like he wasn't just like some like guy that came, swooped in as an executive producer on this. He 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 directed and wrote a lot of the episodes himself. And it has a lot of that same kind of humor. If you like the Suicide Squad and uh, again, John Cena is just uh, incredibly delightful in this role as a guy that like is honestly like kind of problematic, but you can't help but like him. It's 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 a fun time. So how you recommend Peacemaker on HBO Max? Uh, Adam. Uh, any social media you want to plug? I know uh, in case we have any uh, Miami Hurricane fans listening, like they actually have more reason to uh, follow you now. Yeah, yeah. I just got uh, moved up. Going to be covering the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AB Lichtenstein for Hurricanes news. Um, surprisingly, I haven't tweeted about the new Scream movie. I don't know why I haven't done that yet, but uh, just, you know, any random things that pop into my head in addition to my actual job covering the Miami Hurricanes. We haven't tweeted about because you're saving all the goods for the podcast. So I appreciate exactly. that. As, exactly. As, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Adam has a letterbox now. I don't know if we're going to, he's going to be busy with this new job, but we're going to bully him into uh, actually uh, maybe reviewing a movie every now and then. Uh, Fred I, and I, I, will. I, I, I told I told Daniel Lima my first movie would be that I'd review is the new Scream movie. So I got to get right, on so that. So you don't have to do like a full like 600 word review or something. You can like, you know, give it two paragraphs and then link to the podcast or something like that. But like, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure you can like find a few find a few words about it because you're obviously very passionate about this movie. So uh, but yeah, so uh, Adam, like I said, uh, go follow Adam on Letterboxd. So he feels obligated to give something to his followers. The uh, podcast Twitter, though, is uh, at Rewind Movie Pod. Uh, podcast email is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com. Adam is a licked and seen on Clutterbox, by the way, A L I C H T E N S T E I N. So, uh, but no, coming up next on the podcast, I am going to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably have, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to start putting out movie, uh, episodes with our friend Nick on the 1990s Batman movies in advance of the Batman coming out the first weekend in March. Uh, uh, but though, aside from that, I'm not really sure at some point I'm going to do a, an episode on Belfast with Fred. Cause I've, you know, roped him into that. It's kind of the one likely best picture nominee I haven't talked about yet. We're waiting for it to become more affordable for people to rent on streaming. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to at least have one thing every week, though. So everyone stay tuned for that. Thanks again to Adam for joining me and we'll see you next time.